Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and my show is brought to you by my company, and we are the publishers of tools and books for growing strong leaders at work by building strong communication skills. And you can learn more at our website, growstrongleaders.com. Today, I'm really excited about the conversation I'm about to have with my guest, Tom Willis, and you'll find out why as we get into our conversation. Tom, welcome to my show. Well, thanks for having me, Meredith. It's great to see you again. Well, it's great to see you too, Tom. You know, since the very first moment we connected, we had all these areas in common, and I'm going to share a, a short bio with my audience, and they will see there are so many things about who you are that I identify with. Because for one thing, Tom believes that we are all born with unlimited potential. So do I. As a former classroom teacher, as I am, he also believes in the power of lifelong learning. And these beliefs have shaped his primary goal in life, which is helping others uncover their talents so they can reach their potential. Before joining his company, Phoenix Performance Partners, of which he's a partner, he has served in a number of different positions as CEO for Cornerstone Education Group, as a consultant with Price Waterhouse Coopers, and as an engineer with the Intel Corporation. Tom is also the host of a really neat, I love the title Tom podcast called Culture Eats Everything, where he interviews CEOs and superintendents who've created positive change. In fact, that's the focus of his work with superintendents and CEOs to create cultures that really foster the growth of each person and the organization as a whole. So Tom, you and I are just so in sync on this and I can't wait to hear your perspective on these various areas and have you bring those to my audience because they know that building a positive culture is something I'm really passionate about. Let's back up and start about your experience as an educator. And what those years of teaching and then as a CEO and superintendent, how those influence the work you're doing today with your clients? Yeah, well, to get there, we might have to back up a step before that. You know, I was I was working in Chicago for PricewaterhouseCoopers and it was the, the dot-com era. And unfortunately, it was also the dot-com explosion and a few thousand of us lost our jobs. So it was a really, really reckoning moment for me, frankly. And I ended up going to visit my best friend over in Africa and spent some time helping him there. And he was, he was teaching at a school, one of, I think three schools, three high schools for several million kids. So it shows how many, how few kids got to go to to high school. Mm. And I'll never forget. There was a moment where I was teaching and um, the kids were, you know, the front row were like eager and had their hands raised. And one of the kids in the back was sort of half paying attention and, and I just realized that, you know, kids are kids. doesn't matter where you are in the world. doesn't matter how much uh, wealth you have or, or lack thereof. Um, 
And yet the contentment, the sense of just joy in them was palpable. And it, it was really a, a 180 degree turn in my life where I came back to, to Detroit, Michigan and started teaching um, after being an engineer and after being a consultant. Um, and that was a whole new trajectory for my life. And I spent about 15 years with the school system in Detroit in the last five years that I was there as the, the school superintendent or, or CEO. And just a phenomenal journey, just amazingly wonderful people that, that poured into me. Uh, I was able to get my MBA along the way from Notre Dame and just, you know, just a, a remarkable time in my life. And so as I look back on it, the, the thing I miss the most, frankly, is that daily interaction with the, the kids because, you know, you can be having a bad day and it doesn't matter. They'll, they'll, they'll turn your day around just by their questions or by their smiles um, and uh, the joy that they, they bring to life. Well, I love that um, because I remember my own teaching days and you just never know what the kids are going to say. <laughs> it's, it's such an interesting thing and they don't have the same um, hesitation to speak up, you know, that we learn as adults that we have to do. Those experiences that you had there, especially in your role as CEO and superintendent, helped, I think, formulate some of your thoughts around what a good culture looks like. And so I'd love to hear, first of all, your definition. What does culture mean to you? What does it look like? What does it consist of? Yeah, great, great question. You know, there's a few different definitions that I like. Um, Seth Godin says that, that the way the people around here do things this way, it's sort of the way we do things around here. Um, we like to think of it as sort of the unwritten rules of engagement. And the part about that that we think is helpful is that, you know, people talk about culture, you can almost taste it, you can almost sense it when you walk into a, an organization, you can feel it almost right away what kind of culture they have. And yet when you ask people what it is, you'll get 20 different definitions from 20 different people. Um, and it's because of that unwritten part of it, that it's, it's really unconscious, which is why billions of dollars are spent every year around the world trying to change and improve culture. And the vast majority of that work doesn't work because it misses that underlying component, which is that what makes culture so hard to change is that it's mostly unconscious. You know, we show up and we are all sort of on unconscious autopilot. We do the things that we do even personally, and we don't realize it. You know, I'm a, an engineer. I like to think of myself as very uh, logical. Um, but as I've unpacked this more, and as I, I began my leadership journey, I realized that I'm really not as, as logical as I like to think I am. You know, that most of us are driven by other factors, a lot of those being emotional. Um, and we'll make decisions in fractions of a second, which is great. It's a tremendous strength of ours as humans. But then we go and we find data to support the decision we already made. Um, and then we call ourselves logical. And so um, I point to home purchasing as the, the prim primal example of this, um, because I think by and large, most of us are not terribly logical when it comes to the largest purchase that many of us make in our lives. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I totally get that thinking about any home shopping I've ever done. So what do you do to help? Let's say, well, let's back up. A prospective client contacts you about working with them. What are some of the problems that they're having that cause them to say, we need help? 
Yeah, great question. Um, uh, and it's there are a few themes. You know, every organization is different and unique, and that's part of our philosophy. Is we don't have a one size fits all approach. Every one of our programs is is customized. It's built on thirty years of doing the work, and so we have a methodology. But every single client is is unique, and so we customize it based on what they're looking to accomplish first and foremost. You know, what are they looking to? What are they going for in the next five, 10, 20 years? Um, and then we build our approach around what they want to accomplish, not just some process that you know we have, which is what a lot of consultants do. It's sort of you pay them to do X and then Y and then Z, and whether it's effective or not, you know, you pay anyway. Um, our our approach is very different. We we're, we put our butts on the line for helping clients achieve results and we guarantee it um, so much so that we, we tell clients, if, if you say we're not done, then we'll keep going for no additional fee until you get what you came for. So that's what it ensures that every client's happy. It's why 95% of our work is, is referral-based. And so as you think about um, what's the, what are the underlying themes, I guess if I had to make up a few or I had to think of a few... One would be a, a new leader, a new CEO who's got a new vision for where they want to take the organization. And they know they can do it. But like me, you know, it took me about four or five years to really build a solid team and, and to, uh, to do what I wanted to do. But if I had had outside help like us, I could have done it in five months probably. So uh. it's, a, it's a tremendous accelerant um, to the work. Or maybe it's someone who's been there for a while and they feel like they've just plateaued. They feel like they're a good team, maybe even a, a, a really, really good team or a great team, but they just feel like they've plateaued and they want to help breaking through that next level. Um, so that's where we'll come in. Um, or it could be, you know, a, a CEO who's just frustrated, you know, who just feels like they've tried everything. Um, they've tried every new whiz bang business book that's out there and none of them seem to actually work. They're interesting. They're, they're mentally stimulating for a few months but then it doesn't work. It does it kind of fizzles out and they're looking for a partner like us that can actually help them make sure that it's sustainable. You know, our ultimate vision is that you don't need us anymore. We, when we partner with CEOs, we say, look, our ultimate goal is that you don't need us anymore. We want to help you build this into your culture in such a way that we're no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about as I'm thinking of listeners, what is a, uh, a culture that's not functioning well? We've probably all worked in some, something like that, but I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, what do you see as some of the most dysfunctional things? And then contrast that with where you'd help take them, which is to become a high-performing culture. Let's look at the distinction between those two extremes. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. You know, I think Meredith, part of it starts with even that, that idea that it's dysfunctional. You know, we take a very different approach in that um, a lot of, a lot of folks will come in and say like, to be a really effective leader, you need to do these 10 things. Right. And if you don't, you're bad. Um, Our approach is, is, is very different. Our approach is look, you're human, just like the rest of us. You're going to do things that are conscious and unconscious some that help you and some that don't, some that shoot yourself in the foot. It doesn't make you bad. It just makes you human. And part of the job is to unearth those, is to uncover those, to, to help people become conscious of how are, how are we shooting ourselves in our foot and not even realizing it because we're on auto, you know, that unconscious autopilot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we never label an organization as, as dysfunctional. Um, if it's so dysfunctional and so toxic and, you know, just so 
uh, challenging, we just won't, we won't work with them, frankly, because we want to be successful. And the, the first step is they want it. They have to want it. If mm-hmm. they don't want a different future, then we can't possibly help them get there. So most organizations that we're working with are, are doing quite well, frankly, and they're looking to take it to another level. Okay. Um, now, having said that, <clears throat> there are human behaviors that get in the way, you know, um, that, that um, whether it's a, a high need for, for control, you know, somebody that's got this high need to take control of things and that ends up undermining their team and their team doesn't feel empowered or trusted. Um, uh, that, that could be one or somebody who's maybe is a, uh, have a high need for perfection. They really like things to be perfectly. That tends to be me, frankly, um, where we can get stuck making sure that something's perfect and kind of missing the, the overall picture and mm-hmm. we get stuck in the weeds pretty easily. Um, you could have a, you know, a CEO that thinks that they're great and their team needs help. Um, and oftentimes they don't realize that the culture that they're getting is because of their leadership. Mm. Now, again, it doesn't make them bad. It just, it's just helping them to become conscious of how are they impacting their culture in ways that they don't even realize they're doing. Mm -hmm. So those are a few examples that I can, I can think of. Well, before you contrast that with a high performing one. I, I really appreciate that you don't label um, the organization or individuals because it really isn't useful uh, for helping them, I guess, get a new vision of themselves and their capability. So kudos to you for, for taking that approach. And I think what it does is it helps them become less judgmental of themselves and and what the existing situation is, which would then create greater openness to your ideas. Is is that, is that accurate? Exactly. Yep. It's exactly, it's, it's, you know, we see ourselves not as, as outsiders, we see ourselves as partners, genuine partners. I mean, we build really deep relationships. We have people tell us things that they've never told anybody else in their life. Um, and it's built on that foundation of trust and, and, you know, Google has made psychological safety very popular and it's for good reason because it, it's important. It works. You know, he, we human beings need that. We are not these um, uh, sort of robots that are mm-hmm. without emotion. You know, we are emotional beings. And if you want to be an effective leader, you've got to build a foundation of trust and of psychological safety in order to be effective. And so, so much of that foundational work, get skipped um, less and less, which is good as we, as we evolve, I think. Um, but the idea of a soft skill um, is starting to starting to fade a little bit, but there are still folks who think of this stuff as, as soft, squishy stuff. Um, but there is no harder skill than the emotional intelligence that it takes to be a leader, frankly, in our opinion. I couldn't agree more. When I talk about uh, the communication skills we've outlined in our book, Connect With Your Team, it's the same thing. These are not mm-hmm. soft skills. These are hard skills. <laughs> they, they do yes. require a lot. So I want to spend some time in a few minutes about your process. But first, I want to I jump ahead to the end, to the high-performing cultures, mm-hmm. um, to get a sense of what does it look like? When you walk in, what does it feel like? What are the people doing? How are leaders interacting with folks? Just to, to paint a picture of that might be aspirational for some folks 
where, where might we want to get to? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Great question. I think, I think there's a few areas, you know, one people are on a mission um, and you can feel it. You can feel the energy. You can feel the excitement that they're, they're out to accomplish something bigger than themselves. Some set, some purpose that's mm-hmm. greater than themselves individually, or even collectively, they're, they're going after something much bigger, which is very, very different than being able to recite the mission statement. You know, our belief is that mission statements aren't really worth very much, frankly, the best that they can do is remind you of the big mission that you're on. Mm-hmm. And the job of leadership is to get people tying their own sense of purpose, their own sense of mission to the organization's mission. You know, it's, it's what's in it for me. Well, this works in the, the positive end of this, the psychological spectrum as well. You know, if really effective leaders help people uncover their own sense of purpose in life. And then once people get clear about that, then they can say, okay, now I see how my personal purpose, how I can accomplish my personal purpose in life fits within the organization, which is backwards from how most consultants and how most organizations do this. I was guilty of this too. When I was a CEO, we'd go offsite for a retreat once a summer and we talk about the mission statement. We talk about the values. We talk about the vision statement. We'd kind of check it off the list. Okay, good. We're done with that exercise. We'll do it again next summer, right? As opposed to no, uh, uh, being on a mission is an every day, every meeting type of thing that we're constantly talking about it. We're constantly presencing it in our minds um, and people are fired up about it. So that's probably the biggest thing is to, as we'd like to say, lead, 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 Um, put people, help people get connected to a future that's bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they take on as their own future. Because if you don't, the best you're going to get is compliance. You're going to get people that that sort of you know can recite the mission statement because they have to um, and they comply, but they're not really vested. They don't really have their their heart into it. So that's that's the biggest piece of it, and that's usually the one that's most lacking, frankly, because a lot of us as leaders we're in leadership positions, but we don't see ourselves as leaders. You know, we look up and we see all the great leaders of the past like Martin Luther King. And we say, well, that's not me. No, I can't, I can't do that. And so we have this self-imposed limitation. And so we go straight to what we're comfortable with, which is maybe something like management, you know, and that's just why people are being, you know, managed to death. And again, I was guilty of this being an engineer. It's where I was most comfortable is processes and procedures and solving problems and measuring our results, um, which is very, very important. Don't get me wrong. Um, it drives me crazy when I see a LinkedIn article that says management is dead. Management's not dead. It's just different. It's a very different skill than mm-hmm. leadership. You know, you need leadership. You need people inspired and you need management. You need people to make promises to produce results. Cause if you don't, then, you know, you're stuck in the, the soft squishy stuff. You know, you're not making any progress. It may feel good. It may feel therapeutic, um, whatnot. <clears throat> um, but people may feel psychologically self safe, but if you're not producing tangible results, then you know you're you're missing the point. So you need leadership, you need management, and then the third piece I would point to is a, a coaching culture, a, a culture of constant learning and constant growth, where we're able to put our egos to the side, and we're just able to help each other grow. Mm-hmm. None of us is perfect. None of us have this figured out, and we're just willing to be real with each other to say, "Hey, I'm really struggling with this topic, or I'm struggling with this person, or I'm struggling with this team." I could use some help. Could you give me some a different perspective? And so that's one of the things that we'll notice the most when we go back a few years later is we'll literally hear people say to each other, hey, 
can I give you some coaching? Are you open to some coaching? Now, the, the key there is that coaching is only coaching if it's asked for. And in a lot of organizations, it's, it's not that way. It's, it's sort of forced upon people. And that's not coaching. That's annoying. That's irrit- irritating. That's know-it-allism. That's lots of things, but it's not coaching. Um, if people don't genuinely have the opportunity to say, no, I'm not open to coaching right now. I'm so I'm fired up right now, or I'm upset, or I'm busy. Come back to me in a few days, or or just no. Then it's there. There's that's not a real coaching culture. So, leadership, sense of inspiration, you know, management. We're making promises to each other to get stuff done by certain dates and accomplish certain KPIs and OKRs, and then coaching, where we're able to support each other as we move forward into the future. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are great. I I resonate with all of them. So when you first go into an organization, I think you have um, a, some type of upfront assessment that you do, right? To, in other words, you're not making assumptions. You're not even going strictly by what the person is telling you, right? You're doing a little digging of your own. What does that look like? Yeah, we have a few uh, tools that we use um, that we've created over the years. Um, one of them is similar to a DISC or a Myers-Briggs, if any of you have taken those. It's a four-factor model. Ours is called the Elevate System. We built ours, though, a little different. Ours is not an assessment. We think it's a little bit dangerous, frankly, to even call these things assessments because it's like we're assessing somebody. We're assessing their behaviors. We're assessing their unconscious behaviors, and then we're labeling people. And unfortunately, that tends to create a culture of of, of, um, status quo, you know, of being fixed, if people say, well, I am this, mm-hmm. whatever those four factors Goes are. back to labels again. Exactly. Which is not terribly healthy, especially for leaders. You don't get to be stuck. You don't get to be one way. Um, mm-hmm. Our model is built on, you have what we call default success strategies. You have things that have made you successful in life. So for me, I mentioned before, my high need for perfection has served me very well, especially as an engineer, in solving problems and getting things done serves me really well 95% of the time. But there's 5% of the time where it does not serve me well at all. And I need to be conscious of that and realize, okay, Tom, let go of the perfection and move on, you know, move on with your life, go focus on something else. And so our model is really built as a coaching tool for that reason, because we don't want to label people. We want to help people understand what drives them unconsciously. And then what's the future you're committed to? What do you want to grow? towards. Um, So that's one of them, the Elevate system. Uh, We have our own set of what we call conscious leadership surveys, which are similar to a 360 where people get feedback um, from their their peers, but they also get to uh, self-assess themselves um, and they can see the the compare and contrast there. And then we have a conscious culture survey where it helps people become conscious of what's going on within the organization. And this one's a little bit different because it gets at the root cause. It really helps people understand if we go to work on these one or two things, these one or two root causes, it'll fix, it'll address the 15 symptoms. Mm -hmm. Too often surveys are looked at and it's like immediately we jumped into the symptoms and we start fixing this little thing and this little thing and this little thing. And we've got a plan to address 14 different points. Um, And then a year later, we did those 14 things and we wonder why we still have the same problem because we fixed the the leaves on the tree, we didn't go after the root. Hmm. And so our, our survey is really designed to help people get at what's the one or two sort of root cause issues that will then 
have a tremendous impact on everything else. Let's talk about a specific, without naming names, of course, but a specific client. What did you discover, you know, were some of the one or two root issues for them? And then what did your intervention look like over that process of months or years or whatever period of time you spent? And then what was it like afterwards? What, what were, how were they different than they were when you started? Yeah, I'll, I'll sort of speak and and we have a high degree of um, confidentiality in our work, so I cannot um, be remotely specific. So let me talk in sort of generalities, if that's okay. Sure. Um, uh, and I'll kind of combine a few different stories. You know, sometimes you'll have organizations that are merging different organizations. So you're bringing together maybe two different cultures mm-hmm. and, you know, you've got this, um, this sort of little skeptical, I'm not sure about the other side. And sometimes it can be downright lack of trust uh, or it gets even worse than that. They don't, you know, they don't care like we care um, and it can get kind of ugly quickly. And so throughout our engagement, we'll help people to, again, get clear about what are they committed to? What is their purpose in life? What do they personally care about? And for some people, they've done this, you know, a few times in their life and it's just about going deeper and going deeper. And every time I do it myself, I get a new understanding of my own purpose. So it's not something you do once and you're done with. It's something you can do uh, hundreds of times, frankly. Um, and for some people, they may be at the end of their career and they've never done it before. And it's like this, oh my gosh, moment. I wish I had done this 30 years ago. If, if I only had done it this earlier, I, my whole life would be different. You know, I would have, I would have spent my, my life differently. And a lot of times that has to do with working too much and not giving enough attention maybe to, to the home life or to the mm. kids. Um, and when you can do that, you know, we like to say that the way to shared values is by sharing your values. It seems really simple, but it really is. It can be that simple, you know, that when, when there's two people that are fighting and you give them a chance to just talk about what they care about in life and what their purpose is and what do they value 99.9 times out of a hundred, they'll walk out saying, oh my gosh, I didn't realize we are we are on the same team. We are committed to the same things. Um, and boom, just like that, the relationship can transform mm. um, from adversarial to, you know, colleagues who support each other because they see each other differently. So uh, now how we do that, you know, can take months, um, frankly, but um, that's kind of a high level example of, of maybe an approach we might take to, uh, to help people shift from, you know, we call our work transformational leadership and it's, it's transformation is kind of overused. Now it's, you know, my business partner likes to joke that if you, you put on new socks, that's a transformation, you know, that uh, everything's transformational these days, but in our, our world, it really is, you know, people will walk out of our work saying, wow, this is, this has not only made me a better leader, a better manager, a better coach, but it's also made me a better parent or son or you know, um, friend. And that's really when we, we get excited because it, it's made a difference in people's lives. And it's all about helping people to transform their thinking from their old paradigms to, to new ways of thinking. I was just um, imagining as you were talking, when you mentioned earlier, you know, control issues, perfectionist issues. Um, do you find it challenging at times because I think this is important also for listeners when they think about who they are and how they might tend to be. What, what have you found to be effective 
to helping people become more conscious of the way they are and it getting in the way perhaps of them being as effective as they might be. Yeah. Well, the first, first step is when people say that's just the way I am, we jump up and down and we say, no, you're not Um, right. Stop right there. Um, You are just as much who you are in the future and who you're committed to becoming and growing into as you are your life experiences in your past. Uh, we'll, we've had CEOs who say, well, I'm just introverted, you know, okay, that's how you've been in the past, but what are you committed to growing into in the future? And we've had CEOs completely transform how they be act, act and behave. They start thinking out loud with people. They start sharing more of their thoughts. They start engaging with people. Um, now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's comfortable, but as a leader, your job is not to be comfortable. <laughs> your job is to get stuff done and to help people grow. You know, fundamentally, your number one job is to help other people grow. And that's not always comfortable. As coaches, we will say, we're not committed to your comfort. We're committed to your growth. So that's the first thing is, is challenging even that notion that that's just the way I am. Um, and, uh, and then helping people to, to shift into, you know, how do they want to grow and improve? How do they, how do they want to be in a year from now, maybe? Um, how would they like to show up in the world? You know, this is true for all of us. It's, mm-hmm. it's for me every, every six months, I have a new insight about, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was stuck in that area. And now I can, once I'm conscious of it, I can go to work on it. So to, to answer your question, maybe more directly, a couple of thoughts. One is our, our Elevate system is, is a tremendously, it's a very in-depth 40 page personalized workbook that people, every single person gets. And because it's personalized, it produces tremendous insights just by reading it. But then we also put people in cohorts to coach each other. Uh, not theoretical. We don't do any, any rubber chicken throwing or trust falls or any of that garbage. Um, not that that's not fun. I've done that before, but it tends not to produce any results. We put people in real conversations about real topics, and that's what produces insight. That's what produces results. And people usually walk out saying, wow, I didn't realize I thought I was hiding that, you know, all those years, but I wasn't. People knew it, but now we're all aware of it and, and people still are supporting me. They still, you know, they still love me and they're still willing to help me grow. And it's true for everybody, you know, all the way up to the CEO. So we can all help each other grow and improve um, and move beyond those, that way of thinking, you know, that's quote unquote, just the way I am. Mm-hmm. Well, Of course, with our focus on Grow Strong Leaders, I love everything you're saying about growing and the personal growth. And I think just thinking of my own journey as a lifelong learner and this idea of who are you committed to being and becoming, that's not a notion we grow up with. No. No, that is something that a lot of folks really don't even know is a choice. Because they think, well, this is who I am. This is my personality. I can't really change my personality. And so I, lo- I just love this approach that you take with them. It's so freeing, it seems like. Have you seen uh, some Absolutely. dramatic changes with people once they realize, Absolutely. I have so many more options than I ever thought I did? Yeah, and fortunately, you know, the, the, the industry, um, is doing that to people. It's reinforcing that um, because again, we're labeling people um, with some of these quote unquote assessments that are very well known, you know, that 
get tons of press um, and they're, they can be used for good. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times they do more damage than they are helpful because of that, because they label people and people get fixed. There's a great book. Many of you may have already read it, but I didn't highly encourage it by Dr. Carol Dweck called Mindset. Mm-hmm. And she fundamentally boils down that you either have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Um, now, it's not that simple. And there's certain areas of my life where I'm fixed. And there's certain areas where I'm very growth oriented. It's not just either or. It's it's in different areas. We can be different things. And it's certainly on different days. You know, some days I don't want to get better. I just want to like get through the day, you know, uh-huh. so, um, I am fixed on those days. And that's okay. It's It's not about labeling myself or or making myself feel bad that I'm not growing. It's just being conscious of it and saying, okay, that's interesting today. Today, I'm not terribly interested in, in growing. So that book's a great way of framing it, great way of thinking about this and a great way of noticing in what areas of my life do I feel like I'm stuck? Um, mm-hmm. And what areas do I need to go to work on growing and improving? Well, one more question I'd like to ask when you go into an organization, I'm assuming you typically start at the top and work with the leadership and, you know, kind of have a ripple effect or trickle down effect. Do you ever start at a lower level and try to work up to influence an organization? I won't say bottom up, but, you know, lower levels further down. Um, the short answer is no, uh, Meredith. We, we almost exclusively, I'd say 99% of the time, we engage through the CEO or the school superintendent, or the executive director, if it's a nonprofit, whatever the top person is, that's where we start. Because if they don't hire us, and they're not 100% committed to this process, because it's it's pretty intense. I'm not going to lie. It's it's a it's a, it's a growth experience, um, uh, and lots of people walk into it very skeptical for good reasons because they've got, they've done a leadership development program before that didn't work. Mm-hmm. People are uh, um, uh, rightly skeptical. And we invite that skepticism because it's part of what we can use to create the breakthroughs and to create the insights and to create the, the growth and the transformation. So we know that if we don't start at the top, it's not likely to be a successful over the long term. Now, having said that, there are occasions, um, and we, we always start with the executive and their executive team, by the way. So we always do this work in teams because that's just 10 times more effective mm-hmm. than one-on-one work. Um, not that there's anything wrong with one-on-one coaching. It's just not as effective in our, our view. When so, you're trying to transform a whole culture, I can certainly see that to be the case. It, yeah. Working with one person isn't going to have that same kind of impact. Yeah. The slight exception to that, I would say, is if the CEO is wants to check us out, you know, he, he's not sure what he's getting into or she's getting into, um, he'll, they'll, they'll ask us to coach them for maybe three or four months mm. first. And then we'll engage with their team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's fine too. That, that usually tends to work. Now, if there's somebody who we know personally or is connected to us that really needs some help and they're, they're not at the top level, then we're happy to do that. But usually we do that stuff kind of pro bono just to be helpful. And sometimes that will lead to um, the bigger work that we do. But oftentimes it doesn't because it's like going to a, a, a training or a conference you know, you go to it, you're excited, you learn all sorts of new things. And then you come back to your organization and like, you learn to the buzzsaw where as I don't care how strong you feel about it, it's hard to bring that stuff to life. Mm -hmm. If you don't have other people with the same perspective as you do, if you don't have the same energy and excitement. And so 
it ends up getting sort of squelched by the the culture. Again, not necessarily intentionally. It's just what happens. Sure. Tom, I love the work you're doing. I it's so important. I just am imagining the organizations where you have done this effectively, which I imagine is every case you work on, because as you pointed out up front, if you detect there's toxicity there, there's a lack of openness, there's this culture where they don't share your values about people and growth and possibilities, it's not a good fit for you to begin with. So your chances of achieving great success are go up when you're not trying to rescue organizations. Yes, I have yes. that right? Yes. If we are, if we're inserted into an organization, we're, we don't do it because it doesn't, it tends not to work. We're not, we're not turnaround consultants who are there to hack off departments and save money and, and do that sort of work. Not there's some value to that, that work. Don't get me wrong, but it's just not what we do. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Well, please share with my audience how they can connect with you and learn more about the services. And if there's anything in particular you'd like them to be aware of. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. We, we really do two things. You know, we've got this group that work that we do with CEOs across the country. Um, That's probably 90% of what we do. And the second is we, we started a cohort. Actually, it's been so successful. We've had to start another one of CEOs and school superintendents from across the country. Um, Actually, we might have someone joining us from South Africa shortly. Um, So it's becoming international, but it's, it's on zoom. We meet once a month and it's a really a a place for folks to come together across industries, across state lines. They're not competing and we can have real genuine conversations because it's a tough job. You know, being a CEO is tough. It's as there's a saying that it's lonely at the top, and especially during a pandemic, it's really lonely. You know, it's mm-hmm. people are like, I don't, I'm not sure what to do. I don't have all the answers. Um, and so having a, a place where people can come and, and learn from each other and grow and to get coaching from each other is really what we set out to do when we started it last year. And so that's called the interchange. Um, so if there's CEOs out there who are, or school superintendents who are interested in being considered for that, by all means, feel free to reach out to me. We'd be happy to talk to you about that. You can go to our website, which is phoenixperform.com, phoenix like the city, or perform.com. Or you can just reach out to me directly. And my email is just tom at phoenixperform.com. Great. And are you on social media also for people to connect with you? Yeah, we we spend most of our energy in LinkedIn world. Um, So that's probably the best place to find me under Thomas Willis, um, based in Michigan here. And um, uh, yeah, great way to another great way to connect. But no, I don't do a whole lot of uh, other other social media. It's, it tends not to be effective in our world. I can appreciate that. <laughs> well, Tom, I just admire the work that you're doing. I love the impact you're having. That's got the trickle down effect on kids too. If you're working with superintendents, of course, that works all the way down the organization. But also, as you mentioned. When you help people really grow themselves, it impacts every aspect of their lives, not just the workplace, but at home also. So thank you for your commitment to your own growth, which I admire, and also the growth of everyone in the organizations you work with. Thanks for being with me today. 
Yeah, thank you, Meredith. It's exactly that's exactly it too. By the way, is when we can we can help people, then they help people. It's sort of this trickle down effect where we can impact thousands of lives, especially in schools. That that's especially exciting for us because we know we had one superintendent who um, when we started to work with him. Sorry, a quick story. He said, "I don't know what I got us into, team, but you know, if it's no good, we'll just get up and leave." And they said, "All right, Tom and Brad, take it over." And he turned to look at us, and we said, "Oh, great, thanks." <laughs> um, they ended up becoming a, a great client um, over the years, and the impact for that culture and for those thousands of kids that they served still, you know, still um, just warms my heart. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we see this work as really a ministry. It's it's a it's a way to impact people around the country. And so we just feel so blessed to be able to do it. So thanks again for having me on today, Meredith. I really appreciate it. And I'll let you know when our, our book comes out next year. Great. Yes, I'll be glad to help promote that too. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.